Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Nina Kaplan is an Anglo-Australian journalist and author whose first book, The Wandering Vine, has won just about every award going. It's a fascinating, very personal dive into how the Romans created and influenced the world of wine, combining history, politics and philosophy with some wonderful travel writing. Listen to us chat about roots, immigration, displacement, tradition, religion, and the tastes and perfumes of the past. Hello, Nina. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Have you been off travelling? I know you're a big traveller. Um, uh, guilty as charged, I'm afraid. I'm just back from uh, Venice in the Prosecco region, uh, which was great. The sun came out just as I was leaving. I love it when that happens. Um, but no, really beautiful and really interesting. And before that, I was in Australia for the first time in three years, which was great. Seeing family, of course. Seeing family, um, doing some doing some researching, visiting some vineyards as well, obviously. But yes, seeing family. I mean, that's the little segue into what first thing I wanted to ask you about, really, just a bit about your background, because you're born in England. You live here most of the time, also in Burgundy. Uh, but you see yourself as a bit of an immigrant, I think, don't you? I think, yeah, I think me seeing myself as a bit of an immigrant is sort of inherited. Um, I, I'm, I'm very aware that there are immigrants and immigrants. And certainly for the last generation, we've been the lucky kind who have choose, chosen to move somewhere and done it fully legally and with enough funds and all the rest of it. Um, but, but most of my family went to Australia uh, either at the beginning of the Holocaust or before that. Um, so there's, a, there's a, a, an, inherited, um, an inherited unease and uncertainty about where, where you actually belong, certainly. Yeah, I mean, didn't you say, I think you told me once, that only one of your grandparents back in Australia spoke English without an accent? I mean, you know, that must have been, uh, had an impact on you growing up as a kid, didn't it? The funny thing is, it was totally normal as a kid because you just accept so much. And now it, now it's not. Now the fact that everybody in my family spoke more than one language and, 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 and littered, littered what they said with Yiddishisms and, <laughs> and, 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 and my parents both were and were not Australian and had very conflicted feelings about Australia. I feel the same about England. I feel the same about Australia. Um, so, so yes, but it, but it's true. I mean, one, one of my, one of my grandparents, sadly, I never got to meet. He died before I was born, but he would have had a strong Polish accent. His widow, my grandmother had a strong Polish accent. And my other grandmother who actually moved to uh, Australia as a teenager never lost her accent. I mean, you know, you would not, she had a sort of Polish accent with an overlay of Australian. And that to me as a child was totally normal because your grandparents are totally normal when you're a child. So I look back now and and and, and realise that that's not most people's experience, well, not a lot of people's experience in England. Well, I think one of, one of the points of, of your book, The Wandering Vine, that, that comes through very clearly is, is this sense that we're all immigrants, really. You know, if you look back far enough, um, a little bit like grapevines that have kind of moved around the world, we've all moved around the world. I mean, it's quite... I've never done my DNA, but I know people who've done it, and they suddenly think, "God, where did that come from?" You know, there's a kind of Portuguese sea captain in there, or something, or somebody from the Caribbean. I mean, you know. <laughs> now I'm picturing a sort of a sort of barrel full of full of water with Portuguese sea captains waving. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's but it's true, isn't it? It's a. I mean, I I, I always think it, it, it's interesting what people say they want. Um, it's almost as interesting as as, as actual facts sometimes. Mm. So, if, for example, and I put this in the book that uh, that the people wanting to believe that 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 everyone was making wine like wine like crazy in 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 England in southern England during Roman times, whereas actually. We we don't really know. There isn't there isn't any proof. There's there's proof of importing wine. There's proof of growing vines, but the actual bit from the grape to the wine we, we don't have proof of. Um, but it's it's about what people what people want, and I think people want to feel very firmly rooted in in the ground in which they are, and want to sometimes, unfortunately, uh, demonstrate that by by saying how other people aren't. Um, but uh, I can't remember who said that, that that roots wouldn't be worth much if you couldn't pack them up and take them with you. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's very true. <laughs> I think that's very true. I mean, your father is a very strong presence in the book. I must say, I've never having met him, but I mean, he sounds like an amazing person. Sadly, died in 2003. Because um, the book begins with him and it ends with him, really. I mean, it ends with this sense of, of family and, and, and a very emotional ending, I think, to the book. Can you just tell us a bit more about him and and the love of wine that he inspired in you. It, it's so funny, you know, because obviously as a child, and I see this now with my own stepchildren, if your parents really love wine, it's the most boring thing imaginable. You know, you're not interested in it. It quite often goes to places with no playground and no swimming pool. Uh, it, it, I mean, yeah, I, we got dragged around vineyards as 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 children and and I didn't like it and dad talked a lot about wine and I didn't like it and um and then you you get older and you start to get interested and 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 I I got a sort of spurious reputation for knowing something about wine when I was at university because my dad's attitude and this was very typical of him he was pragmatic in some slightly peculiar ways he said you're you're gonna you're gonna drink a lot of wine you're at university and I'm going to one way or another end up paying for it so why don't I buy the wine because then you'll be drinking better cheap wine than if you buy it so he did so although it was still whatever the equivalent of a fiver I guess five or six pounds now it was three pounds then it he didn't spend more than I would have spent he just spent it far better and I think that was my first really good lesson <laughs> in wine, actually. But it also then meant that my friends thought I knew something because they even they could tell they were getting slightly better wine, Chateau Kaplan. And, and of course, the friends who came to Park Hill really did get better wine because my father had a habit of saying pearls before swine and then serving the swine the pearls anyway. Um, <laughs> so at some point, you, you start to feel that you need to, you need to live up to that a bit. And mm. it was one of the great sadnesses of my life and, and and actually one of the sort of the impetuses behind the book is is that dad didn't really get to see that I mm. I, I think I published one piece of a, a very sort of amateurish piece on on port I think um when working as uh, uh on the features desk at the European uh and he he saw that but the, the point at which I actually started to know something we could have had an interesting conversation and I still get invited to things occasionally where I think, oh, I wish I could take my dad to that. He would have loved it. So. I must say, as a result of my dad's still alive. I mean, he's old, he's old now. But and I, as a result of reading the rereading the book, I phoned my dad last night just to say, hey, you know, let's go out next week. Let's go because you, know, you cherish them, don't you? Yeah. Tell us how you, how you came up with the idea for the Wandering Vine. I mean. Um, did you study classics? I mean, it certainly made me realising, I think, I think, God, I don't know anything about the Romans. I don't know enough. Did you start with all that knowledge? No, I didn't. Um, I, I did Latin at school. 
uh, and I had to brush back up on my <laughs> my still very dodgy Latin for, for for that, but which was great actually. It was nice. It was interesting to see what you remembered and what you didn't. I mean, I, I speak French. I have all right Spanish, um, so some of that Latin is embedded in in that. And I learned at an age where you do actually remember things. Um, and I've always been interested in in classical history, and uh, so actually, we sitting and saying, right, I'm going to read nothing but books relating to the classics for a year while I while I research and write this book was actually lovely, and I I, I learned a lot and, and 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 read some very very interesting things. And I've always wondered why it doesn't. It, I mean, the, the the Romans' interest in wine and impact on wine, which is huge, doesn't get talked about as much as you'd expect. Everyone's Certainly in France, everyone's too obsessed with the monks. Mm. Um, so, so it was really great, and a really nice thing happened, which was that my my secondary school Latin teacher found out about the book somehow, friended me on Facebook, was going to come along to one of my talks, didn't in the end. But um, so it was like I finally made Mister Smith happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean, the Roman Empire at its peak. I looked this up last night. Somewhere around sort of 110 AD was was enormous and even bigger than I knew. I just wonder how you decided where to go. I mean, you kind of you go to from England really um, via 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 France and Spain and Italy uh, and end in Rome. You could have included North Africa, Asia Minor, Middle East. You know, Judea, uh, modern Israel. How did you decide where to go? I could still be travelling. <laughs> or, or it it's the endless book. book. It's, it's the fourth road bridge of books, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, I Partly, I, to be honest, places that were particularly of interest to me. I mean, you know, mm. Rome was absolutely, you had to go somewhere in Italy. Um, I couldn't do the whole of Italy because really I would still be there. So I decided to do the southern bit, which is less, I mean, less known, I think, particularly mm. Campania. Um, and and really interesting because it, it turns up in 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 classical poetry. Um, you know, uh, Horace was born was born in Campania, essentially born in Basilicata. So um, so it's partly that France. My attachment to France is um, very understanding. I didn't study classics at university. I studied French and Russian actually, mm. um, and and of that the French stuck. So, and I've been I've been going back and forth there. I now live part of the time there. My my stepchildren have grown up there. So um, my husband is is a, um, a professor of French. So um, so it, it's a really really strong visceral attachment to France, which is interesting because it's almost like those are the routes I've chosen. Mm. Um, that's nothing to do. There's no there's no France in my actual past. That's mm. the place I've chosen to give allegiance to in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always going to have France in it. Um, Spain, Spain is interesting because it's, it's different in terms of the way it got Roman. It already had wine from the Phoenicians. Mm-hmm. So the, the Romans coming in and, and what they did there was different. Um, and, and England, um, if I'm honest, um, my editor at Bloomsbury said, I think you should start, in England. <laughs> so yeah, start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should start, you should start where you start yeah. is a sense. Although, yes. Um, so, so yes, that's, that's really how that worked. But I was always very aware. And that's one of the reasons it's very much done as a, a personal trip and as a, as a journey yeah. is yeah. the curtain. But, but because, because. It's not. It's not aiming to be definitive. It's absolutely mm. not definitive about Romans and wine. Yeah, and I think that's part of its strength. I mean, talking about the personal bit. I mean, you know, the book is subtitled "Wine: The Romans and Me." A lot of it is is about the Jews and about Jewishness, and you're Jewish, obviously. Um, was that the idea when you started the book that it would also have this sort of very large Jewish component? 
I think it was, yes, because the book came really from from that side. There, there were two things. One was writing a piece a long time ago, basically, which is why am I the only Jew who drinks, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which has always interested me. I mean, obviously, with Judaism, if you if you have any if you're observant at all, which I'm not, then you do you drink at least once a week because you, you drink. There's a ritual element to that for the Sabbath, hmm. uh, and maybe that's partly why most of the Jews I know are totally uninterested. I mean, you know, big exceptions. I have cousins hmm. making wine in Australia, but hmm. but but it is notable that it's there's there's not a broad interest in it. And hmm. I, so I wrote a piece about that because I was quite interested in that. And and then there was also the fact that um my my grandfather's birth certificate showed up after my hmm. father died my grandfather's birth certificate showed up in, in a case of wine that, i mean that's a lovely start to the book isn't it, it yes exactly <laughs> and, and that in a weird way that was just so it, it, it so brought together wine hmm. and my past hmm. in ways that i don't think at that point i started thinking about yet particularly because my grandfather's name turned out to be a name that i didn't know. and actually that has since turned out to be the case with my maternal grandmother and my maternal grandfather that they'd all anglicise their names, basically. They anglicised their names yeah. when they got to Australia, yeah. And yeah. it's less surprising when my, my mother's parents, who I knew far less well, mm. it's less surprising. It's just interesting who was mm. Yankee or who wasn't Jacob. Um, but but uh, with my grandfather, who I knew he didn't die. He died when I was 14. I have really mm. strong memories and strong affection for him. He was the one grandparent who spoke with a, an, an English accent, actually. Mm. He was born in Hull, mm. uh, in Leeds, sorry. Um, so. Um, yeah, just finding out that this man who sounded English, was Australian, was kind of the salt of the earth, actually never told me his real name, mm. was really did get me thinking. So, yes, it was always, it was always going to be about the Jews and also about the, the connection between the Jews and the Romans, which really nobody talks about. The, the mm. Jews built, the Jewish slaves built the Colosseum. Mm. Nobody talks about that. Yeah. No, that was, that was very interesting. And also how, how involved Jews have been historically with wine, you know, Yes. And that comes through in lots of places, doesn't it? I mean, you admit in the book a couple of times, I think, that you're an atheist. You know, you don't believe in an afterlife, you know, so it would be nice to see your 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 father again and your grandparents. And yet religion and the role of faith play play a very important part in it. You've mentioned the monks, obviously, in, in Burgundy uh, and in Priorat. Did you have any kind of numinous or, or spiritual inverted comment moments along the way where you thought, oh, God, maybe I'm wrong about this. There is a God after all. I mean, you know, were you touched by by, by something beyond yourself writing the book? Um, yes, definitely. And I, I would say agnostic rather than atheist. Atheist, yeah. you, you, you sure? I'm definitely yeah. not sure. But... Yeah. Um, but uh, absolutely, actually, in 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 Kumai, going through the where the Sibyl was, I mean, I can still picture. It's the most extraordinary tunnel, and on the one hand, you're walking through through a passageway that is itself very eerie. There's tiny bits of light coming in from outside. It's very bright outside. It's very dark in there, and the 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 tunnel kind of tapers at the top, which is already a bit weird. And and you know this was built by people thousands of years ago, which is always mm. sort of brings things up in terms of at the very least there are real people, real ghosts, if you want. There are real people who 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 whose whose aura is there or, or or whatever you want to call it. But also that they built it because they absolutely they built it for religious reasons. That mm. they built it for it was built for the Sybil. The Sybil was going to be there and 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 do her prophecy, prophecy mm. prophecies from there. And um so yes, I mean to me that that all sort of 
came together and that idea that 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 Faulkner idea that the, mm. the past isn't you know the past isn't past mm. um which I always very much believe in and actually thinking about it there's there's a I mean not exclusively but there is a Jewish element to that mm. that the, the 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 idea that the that every year if you if you if you follow the, the the rituals you are you are you are continually bringing up the past the whole mm. thing is you know we 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 live in the past to a certain extent because the messiah hasn't come yet so <laughs> you know if you if you you know the present the present is has its problems so <laughs> and that whole idea of next year in jerusalem which you say at the, at the passover seder every year you say next year in jerusalem is 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 a sort of weird circularity of next year we're going to go back to where we were before yeah. and i'm i'm purposefully leaving out anything to do with modern problems with jerusalem because that i i stay as far away from as i can this is about jerusalem 2000 years ago about the period that i'm writing about um where where it's 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 again it's a it's a, a fantasy in a, in a way for for a modern person but but yes it's a short answer you get this you get this sense yeah i think you get this sense reading the book that it's it's almost like a dialogue with 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 the dead you know with the yes. past I, I i mean i just wonder because uh, you talk about this a couple of times as well whether it made you appreciate the present much more you know you've talked about uh, we all spend so much time living in the past saying oh worrying about what happened yesterday or looking forward um did it make you think hey i've there's a lovely moment i think when you're standing on a balcony with craig your partner and you're sort of saying i'm drinking this amazing glass of wine in campania and you know, th this is as good as it gets, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think, I think I'm reasonably good at that anyway. Mm. And that is also something that I inherited from my father, mm. who had a wonderful capacity to enjoy the present. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he really did. You know, he had he had three great loves: wine, golf, and opera. And he 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 did a lot of all of them. Sometimes to the detriment of. <laughs> he had a real job as well. He was a serious job. He was he was a, a psychiatrist and psycho psychoanalyst. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but but yes, that that ability to suck all the possible enjoyment from from this moment right yeah. now. Uh, he he was great at that, and I'm I'm very glad that he was because yeah. he didn't he didn't live to be as old as I, you know he died at 65 mm. so you, you you've got to be you've got to be enjoying yourself because because who knows in a sense but yes it i mean i yeah i mean it was wonderful it's obviously it's now in the past that yeah. trip but yeah. it was a wonderful it was wonderful when it was in the present and and in a way for me writing the book was a way to keep it in the present yeah because um, you can go back and re-experience the moments that you had when you when you were writing it really. exactly yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Roman wine because you, you know, the Romans are the, are the fount of the book, if you like. I mean, what was it like? Do we know? I mean, it was blended with all sorts of weird stuff. I mean, I knew some of them, but some of the things in you, but I didn't know they blend it with seawater. They did. Oh, they're only for, only for the lower classes. <laughs> only for the, the plebs got the seawater. The plebs, well, the slaves. The slaves, right. it would have been a way to, to, to uh, bulk out your, you know, their, their version of piquette, I guess. It was, it was a way to. To, to bulk out the um uh, the wine that they were because you had to give slaves wine they, they, it took them longer to drop dead there was a whole discussion at one point about how how hard you can work your slaves in the vineyard before they drop dead which obviously you, you don't want until they get a bit a bit older I mean it's quite it, 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 looking at that whole balance between people who who, who we admire mm. for some of the things they do and people who really don't admire yeah. some of, it, and understanding that it was a very different way of looking at the world and of looking at 
humanity. Yes, yeah, so horribly but, utilitarian almost the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, they, they weren't they weren't considered to be people. I don't think. I mean, mm. that 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 was they weren't. Mm. Uh, you know, there there was the the era where where you know babies were being left out on. On 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 on, ru- on rubbish tips that you, because you didn't need that you didn't need that slaves baby so I mean really some of the stuff is oh. you, you can't romanticize them I mean you can no. but you, that, that there needs to be balance but yeah. um but in but in terms of, of 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 what they were actually drinking yes they put all kinds of things into the wine and some of those things were very nice mm. um they, they you know, herbs and and and, and flowers and there's, there's a lovely thing making sorry. Honey, honey, yes. Yeah. Take, taking a, a big a big bunch of sort of uh, a sticks, sort of perfume sticks, and using that to stir your wine, um, which is lovely. And there are a couple of people who have been doing similar things. Mm. Um, there's a, a vineyard down in the south of France where they're, they're sort of they're, they're aging their wine in, in dolly and um, the dolly eye actually they're not amphora they're buried in the ground and um, and and stirring them with these perfume sticks and, and it tastes it tastes very nice mm. and um, and Baetica as well who are in the book in in in, um, in southern Spain uh, mm. my, my lovely friend who's a crazy archaeologist again the wine tastes very nice it doesn't would we consider it fine cuvee no I mean it, it's just an interesting thing to try it, mm. they matched for me in Spain they match they match the Baetica one has violet in it one has cinnamon. I uh, can't remember what the third one has, but yeah, and, and they matched them with food, and it worked really well. And they were mm. using things like garum, which is a, a Roman sort of condiment, essentially, and 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 it did work really well. But I think we also one of the things I think we also need to remember is our taste buds must be different from theirs. They had never tried sugar. They never tried anything processed. They would never have tried or well, potatoes. You know, I think you make that point in the book. Potatoes, tomatoes. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but you know the 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 difference. I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not a scientist. I don't know at what point that might actually change your mm. composition of your taste buds. But when you think how much we are physically taller than people mm. were a few hundred years ago, I think it seems reasonable to suggest that how you taste will yeah. have changed in the, in the last two thousand yeah. years. So I mean, we love it. And also, when they are drinking the the Falernium from from the the great year of 122 BC, and they're drinking it. A hundred years later, you've got to wonder. It probably wasn't that great. <laughs> no, we'll talk about that in a minute, this idea of, you know, well, maybe talk about that now, this this idea of romanticising the past. I think it's 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 a point that, that that Craig, your partner, brings up in the book where he talks about this contrast between tradition and nostalgia. Can you just tell us what, what you understand by that in the book? I think the, the difference is, like the difference between the earth and the air. Mm. Really, I mean, tradition is something we stand on, and it's solid. Um, we can we can try and repurpose it for our own ends, and and we do because that's we're humans, and that's what we do. But 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 it, it, it there is an actual thing there. If I'm if I'm plowing my field like this now because my ten times great grandfather plowed mm. it like that before, then that's then that's tradition. And and nostalgia is 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 more nebulous, and and I mean, it, literally, it comes from the the the, the Greek is the, is the, the sickness mm. for home, the pain of the return mm. home, and and it, it, it's something. And and home is home is a complicated place. Mm. I think that, that for almost anyone. I mean, maybe if you are, you know, if you have been here for hundreds of years, and and you, you've, but even then, you're gonna you're gonna lose people. Things mm. change. There's incredible nostalgia in Britain now for how things mm. were in the past. 
Um, so I, I think I think it's a much more difficult mm. concept, um, nostalgia, but a, a, and, and therefore a, a, a more interesting one. Yeah, it's more slippery in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. much more, um, much more slippery, and 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 much more open to reinterpretation and and mm. and and to, to itself becoming a kind of a a, a sickness. I mean, I, I mean, good I, and bad. That's the problem, isn't it? That people can interpret it as they wish, really, and impose layers of meaning upon it. I mean, again, you you talk about that a lot in the book about the way we interpret the past in our own fashion and for our own ends. Yes, absolutely, and we've definitely been seeing that <laughs> for the last few years in we, England we quite a lot. Have, yes, it's, well, it's very interesting actually because I've just been in Italy and I've just been in northern Italy, where the First World War is a is a very real thing still it's not they don't talk about the second world war they talk about the first world war because they were on the i was in the prosecco region and they were on the front line and there were some awful battles fought and of course they were the wrong side of the front line they were not in italy it was the italians bombing them um and 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 to me the way they talk about it is 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 has everything to do with uh tradition and 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 definitely not to do with nostalgia it's to do with how their their present has changed because of the past essentially Whereas I think our our the way we look at the twentieth uh, 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 century and its wars has much more to do with nostalgia and a lot less to do with tradition. Yes, I think you're right. I mean, you know, you, you read about things like the Battle of Britain, and, and it was not quite as the way it was presented to us, really. You know, uh, or is, it is presented to us these days. I, listen, I want to ask you something else. But you talked about home and our relationship with home, and one of the things you say in the book is that everyone longs for the taste of home. Is that true for us Brits? I mean, you know, you're, you're, I get the sense that you're slightly equivocal about English wine at the start of the book. Oh. <laughs> Do we have this longing for, for taste? Is that unfair? I mean, you know, you, you you start the book with a long quote from Proust, you know, the, the famous scene with the Madeline and, and uh, Madeleines and the, and the Linden tea. Uh, how does that work for you, for us as Brits, this sort of taste of the past, this taste of home? Oh, I, I, first of all, let me say, I, I, there are many. I, I'm, I'm an advocate for English wine. English sparkling wine. I'm not quite such an advocate for this one. <laughs> Maybe I'm, I'm being unfair. I, I got a sense of occasion. <laughs> I have been busily telling the Australians <laughs> that they should try some. That's terribly expensive over there. Um, but, um, but, but yes, in terms of the taste of home, I'm not sure it needs to be as literal as I'm English and therefore the taste of home is going to be English yeah. sparkling wine. I don't think that that's actually the taste of home for very mm. many people because it's not something any of us grew up drinking it's not it's not rooted in tradition and therefore probably not rooted in nostalgia mm. either um but but in terms of something and it, you know for for Bruce precisely it wasn't mm. it wasn't wine it was a, it was mm. a little cake um the idea that there are that taste can take us back yeah. in time uh i think it, it, it's more mm. about that it, for me it actually is wine but that's to do with my personal past and i think for for quite i mean it, it is a wonderfully evocative substance wine it's one of the things that we all love yeah. about it is it can take you other places not necessarily home it can take yeah. you somewhere else and that was so valuable during yeah. lockdowns <laughs> you, you can travel every night <laughs> i mean I, you know because i think the way you put it is rather lovely you said that every bottle of wine contains the perfume of a particular past and i think that's right if you look at wine that way it's basically it's a bottled moment isn't it and, and you have this incredible yeah. thing sometimes when you're pulling a cork on something you know, that was made before you were born or, or in a year that yeah. that meant something to you, you know, or, or, or to somebody else. I mean, it, it is, I mean, I, I don't think I thought about it in those ways, but it's, it's, it's one of the great things about wine, as you say. 
It is. And it's so moving that one of the reasons we have wine in France at all, well, the reason we have wine in France at all, mm. as it is, is because Roman soldiers were, when they were decommissioned, were given land and they planted mm. vines. And when I think about that and I think about these people who were never going to be able to go mm. home again, this was, and there was mm. no post. So they weren't, they were, there was really their communications with where they came from in, in what is now Italy is going to be so you know, it was gone. It was gone in a way that nothing in our modern world is gone. And and all they had really to connect them was these vines that they were going to plant and hopefully were going to taste, were and were not going to taste like where they came from. I just I just found that yeah. really moving. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I wonder, are there things that we can learn from the Romans today? And, and, and do these differ from what we can learn from the Greeks? I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that the Greeks get slightly better press than the Romans um, because of yes. democracy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, other things we can learn from the Romans where you, you, you read things, you thought, yeah, we could do with a bit of that today. We, um, yes, I, I definitely think the, the, there's, a, there's a, in the museum in, in Lyon, there is half what remains of a, ta- a mm. tablet uh, inscribed, which it, inscribed with a speech, a very long speech. It's clearly a, a, a bit of a windbag um, by, um, I, um, I'm trying to remember which emperor it was at the beginning of the first century. Um, it wasn't Claudius. I've, I've got a momentary blank. of Anyway, one of the emperors who, who was born in Lyon and who was saying, we should just give everyone citizenship. And, 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 and this, there was at this cause of outrage, but he won and they did. And everyone who was living in Roman territories at that point, probably accepting slaves, mm. I would imagine, but everyone else got to be mm. a Roman citizen. And this very this idea that Mary Beard talks about, that the Romans were very comfortable with you being two mm. things at once in, 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 in nationality terms. They didn't have nationalism in the way mm. that we do. I think we could really learn from that, given the immense problems that nationalism has been causing for at least the last 200 years. The idea that you might have allegiances to several places, and of course, again, this comes back to, for me, to, to Judaism and having been attacked over mm. hundreds of years, thousands of years, for not having allegiance to the mm. place you're in, um, because the understanding was that the Jews only had allegiance mm. to the Jews. And, and, and the idea that you could have both, that you could be, in the same way that we love our family and we love our country, you can love more than one country. I definitely love more than yeah, one country. So do I. Deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, exactly. And and I think we can learn we can learn about that from them. But I would also say that there are things that we have learned from them without realizing it. And and one of the books that I consulted a lot when I was researching, which was um, at the time was lent to me by the lovely Sebastian Payne um, uh, of the Wine Society, who who knew my dad and and has strong affectionate memories of my dad, and lent me the book. And then after the after my book was published because book that's out of print after my book was published he wrote me a beautiful letter saying um i think you've earned the right to keep it oh. um so i have that book as a, as a gift from sebastian and it's called uh, god's men and wine and it was published in 1961 and in it uh the author says uh, obviously the romans had some some peculiar ideas like for example uh pruning and harvesting according to the favors phases who would of the do moon that and- <laughs> And, and, and I looked at this from the perspective of 2017 whenever I was writing and thought, hold on a minute. <laughs> so I think we have learned from yeah. the Romans, but we've lost that knowledge and the way they always talk about the Middle, mm. Middle Ages and regain some of it, not necessarily mm. realising that Roman knowledge that it is came what from it was. Them. I'm sure that's true of lots of things. Yeah, and amphora. I mean, everybody these days seems to be using either concrete eggs or they're fermenting in clay amphora, aren't they? I mean, again, that's come from the Romans, really. 
Yes, somewhere there are a lot of Roman winemakers. <laughs> Let's talk a bit more about wine because there are lots of wines in the book. You know, you go and visit winemakers and, and, and describe them, the wines and them with your wonderful flair, I think. Um, I was interested in one of the things you said that if you really want to taste wine, you must first embrace uncertainty. I mean, a lot of wine criticism these days, I mean, you know, I'm guilty myself, is about giving points and saying, this is my opinion. It's a very male thing, I think, in some ways. How do you do that as a wine critic? How do you embrace uncertainty? Well, I mean, uh, and, and, and I hadn't made the connection, but, I, but I've never liked point systems. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I understand the appeal to, but this is precisely, I understand the appeal to, to readers and drinkers, and it's precisely that they want mm. certainty. And I just think that wine is something, you know, we all know it changes. If you open the cork, if you pull the cork today on a bottle and you, or you pull it tomorrow, the wine, that wine will taste different. It changes with age. It changes when the winemaker changes. It's changed as people have had, have changed their ideas about the way they, what they, what they want to do in the vineyard or in the winery. And, 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 and this idea that, here is what this wine is. To me, it's not just that it doesn't work. It's that it goes against everything mm. I love about wine and people, actually, because wine is, wine is you know, a little ungraspable in the way that, that, that people are. You, ca- you can't say this person is this, that, and the other. I mean, you can, you can do – point systems are like Myers-Briggs <laughs> for wine. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's like the Walt Whitman line about, you know, I contain multitudes, isn't it? And I, I think we all – we all contain multitudes, you know, and it's it's to do with all sorts of things. That, that again, that you touch touch on in the book, really. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the chapter I enjoyed most, uh, possibly just because of my own love of Spain, was the one about Andalusia, and I love the way you work this this Spanish notion of convivencia. You know, it's 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 sort of co cohabitation in a way that existed between the Moors and the Jews and the Christians before the Reconquista and the expulsion of the Jews in 1492 and the expulsion of the Moors as well. Um, this coexistence of these three religions, was that part of the journey you enjoyed most? I mean, did you did that inspire you in a way? It seemed to. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And it was something I didn't know anything about before I started researching. And there's also all this very beautiful Moorish poetry, um, which I was not reading the original, because of course the original wasn't Spanish, it was Arabic. But um, some version of that. Um, but it, 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 it's absolutely beautiful. A lot of it's mm. to wine, <laughs> you know. Ironically, given our our, our current understanding of uh, 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 of Islam, they had a, they had a more literally a more fluid uh, a more fluid understanding of it. But but that yes, this idea that uh, it is more useful to me to be friends with those I disagree mm. with, and also they you know they and it was financially far more mm. beneficial. They made a lot of money because there was a special tax, mm. the dimi. That you paid if you were not uh, if you were were not Muslim, so they made an awful lot of money out of people, and and it is uh, a known fact that that after fourteen ninety two, Spain, you know, obviously had the wonderful all the riches from the New World, but they 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 sort of started to disintegrate it in a way because of expelling all these many many people who could have been so useful to them for reasons that. I don't view as legitimate. Yeah. Um, so, which is, you know, if, 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 if Isabella wants to be Christian and, and, and somebody else wants to be Jewish and somebody else wants to be Muslim, then they should all be able to live together. And if Isabella's in charge, mm. she should have the good sense to 
see yeah, that. Live and live. I mean, I, I think, it, I think you're quoting uh, something from a Claudia Roden book where Torquemada standing on a rooftop looking down on a Saturday to see, you know, if there were any houses where there was no smoke coming out of the chimneys because there might have been Jews observing the Sabbath. I mean, you go from convivencia to that where you've got a lunatic standing standing on a rooftop looking at chimneys. I mean... Not just yeah. a lunatic, a converso. Yes. Torquemada's family yeah. were Jewish. So, Hi hip know. A hypocrite as well. Yeah. <laughs> a hypocrite as well, yes, exactly. <laughs> a murderous <laughs> hypocrite and a lunatic. Yes, no, yes, well, that's one of the things we like about ancient exactly. history, isn't it? <laughs> Murderous lunatics are comfortingly exactly. far away. That's very true. <laughs> one of the things you say, and, and I feel this myself, is that you love wine writing and writing about, and travel as well, really, because of the access it gives you to, to other lives, to different lives, to lives you know, you might have led in different circumstances. I, I just wondered, do you ever envy the people you're interviewing? And have you ever wanted to cultivate your own garden, as it were, and, and make wine of your own? I have to honestly say no. <laughs> I would like to cultivate a garden um, because I'm more of a Voltairian than I am a winemaker. But I would like to cultivate a garden because at the moment we live in in two different places, neither of which has a garden. <laughs> so you just like one garden somewhere, right? <laughs> yes, just one garden. But no, what ma making wine? I think it's partly the idea of staying that still, which I don't think I'm really cut out for. I mean, you really do need to stay put. There, it, it, you become rooted along with those vines. And 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 also that I uh, the the I mean one of the things I love about wine is that it contains so many different things, and and you can be the kind of winemaker who loves agriculture, and you can be the kind of uh, the kind of wine lover, sorry, who loves agriculture, and you can be the kind of wine lover who loves history and geopolitics and stories and. And I'm definitely the latter kind. And I don't think those people should be making wine because I don't think they do it very well. Stick to what you do, right? Exactly. <laughs> Talking of which, uh, I mean, I know how much work you put into that book. And I'd occasionally I'd see you and you'd say, I can't talk to anybody for the next six months of doing this book. Um, are you working on another one? I am, yes. I want to do a book on right. France. Um, so hopefully it's not got very far. It, it, I mean, in theory, the pandemic should have been a perfect time to be sitting and, and dreaming up ideas about traveling but it didn't quite work like that for a lot of people I think and it, it didn't really for me I got distracted by other things um so it's 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 fledgling at the moment but yes I, I would love to do I would love to do another book and 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 learn from the mistakes I feel I made in the first one and hopefully build on the things I got right and yeah here's yeah. hoping and your next trip my next trip is on Friday. I'm going to France, to Burgundy, to see my stepdaughters. And after that, I'm going to Montreal. The week after, I'm going to Montreal. Fantastic. Well, look, bon voyage. It's been fantastic talking to you. Um, the you. book is published by Bloomsbury, yeah, and it's called The Wandering Vine. Uh, Nina, thank you so much for talking to you. It's been brilliant. I mean, we could have talked for hours. Thank you, but, Tim. You know, We've done it yes. in under 40, 38 minutes. Brilliant. 15 seconds to go. Okay. <laughs> and I'll see you very soon. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, Tim. Bye. What an interesting chat. Do buy a copy of The Wandering Vine, published by Bloomsbury. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Alejandro Sakanovich from Bodegas Tejo and Tinto Negro in Argentina. See you then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at TimAtkinMW. See you next week.